After what seemed to be a never-ending summer break, Formula One returns to action this weekend in Belgium as all 20 drivers head to Spa to battle it out for another podium. Will Max Verstappen take another step to secure the Drivers' Championship? Has Ferrari used the summer to reassess team strategy? And can Mercedes continue the momentum it had heading into summer break? All this and more on Unlapped. Journalists would make a lot of money, finally, off of this. <laughs> if they have any realistic ambitions about the championship, the Drivers' Championship, they have to prioritize the club. Well, Lawrence Edmondson, you just made new metrics sexy. You can try as hard as you want, you know, you can run a race through Las Vegas, you can run a race through New York. You will never replicate Spa-Francorchamps as it is. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George, he's Nate Saunders, and that's Lawrence Edmondson. And after what felt like an eternity, we can finally say it's race week, guys. Welcome back. How excited are you guys for the weekend? I hope your travels were tons of fun and you got some good R&R as well. Yeah, I'm incredibly excited and not just because it's nice to go back to a racetrack. I mean, I've had a nice break as well. It's nice to go back to a racetrack, but everything that could have happened in the driving market seems to have happened in that period from when we buzzed out of the Hungarian Grand Prix paddock and went off thinking that, oh, we're on holiday now, to that crazy week, which I think we documented in a number of podcasts uh, at the start of the summer break, to now. And yet we haven't really had a chance to sit down and talk to the drivers because they've all been off on holiday in different places. We've had information come through, but now we're going to get it all from every single driver, what they think about it, uh, how they felt you know, when they got the news about either drivers leaving, coming, going, all the rest of it, and of course what happens next. So for me, that is... That's the best way to kick off the second half of the season. And it's at Spa, which is, you know, one of the best places on the racetrack, uh, on the calendar. So it, we like come straight back into it. I agree with everything Lawrence said, like all of that stuff has been simmering away and we get these three great races to kick, to kick us back off again. You know, you have Spa, you have Zandvoort, which last year was just unbelievable. And then you have Monza and, you know, as a three, I know people aren't, you know, people are mixed on triple headers, but as triple headers go, that's pretty strong. Pretty- so what a way to get back into racing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's dive in. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment on what you want to hear more of. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us up with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast so more people can find us. Okay, news first. McLaren officially announced just moments ago, guys, that Danny Ricardo's departure will happen at the end of the season. Another driver's future is determined before the end of the year. And, you know, Nate, you had reported that this was coming. We knew that uh, it it was eventually going to take place, but now it's officially official. Can you just kind of take us back and give us a timeline of how all of this went down for Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren? Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts, isn't it, to to think we're actually talking Mm -hmm. about this. I mean, it's not a shock in the context of the last few weeks, but it is a shock. If you said this at the start of the season, that Daniel Ricciardo wasn't going to be driving beyond this season at McLaren, it would have seemed wild. And it's really kind of it's kind of interesting to to try and get your head around this and try and really dig into this because it has been simmering away for a little while. And I think that this is, you know, we're going to hear more from Zach Brown and from Daniel Ricciardo today and tomorrow in the lead up to the race. But um, from everything I understand, this really started percolating around Monaco Grand Prix time. Now this is the famous time now, infamous time now that Zach Brown was in at the Indy 500. And he said, we've got mechanisms in Ricardo's contract that we can exercise if we want to. 
And that was a quote that wasn't actually true. Like they didn't have those those um, mechanisms in the contract. Otherwise, they would have ex- exercised them. The, the reason this has taken three weeks for McLaren to confirm is they've been working out a financial settlement with Ricardo to get him out of that contract a year, you know, a year early, as you mentioned, Katie. So that's the that was the first hint that we really got that McLaren were even considering this. And Ricardo, I'm pretty. I mean, Lawrence Lawrence will remember this as well. I think every race since then every thursday when we have media day since then there has been some form of question posed to daniel ricardo about this you know about his future about and it's all kind of stemmed from that quote and i don't think the piastri link was was there in may but i think that the thought was there in, in zach brown's head in may that maybe this isn't the right thing maybe this isn't the right partnership for us going forward i think originally the idea was colton herter but i think that as the last few weeks leading up to the summer break came about the talks between um piastri's manager who is mark weber uh, and Andreas Seidel, who used to work with uh, mm-hmm. Weber in World Endurance Championship, they have a very good relationship there. They kind of intensified and it became very clear that this opening existed for Piastri. We talked about it on the last pod about how Alpine have you know, bungled this situation so badly that they've effectively just left let Piastri drop into McLaren's lap like that. And I think everything came together over the past kind of two weeks. I know that Zach Brown met Piastri properly ahead of the French Grand Prix. It, it wasn't a long meeting. They, you know, they they exchanged pleasantries. They chatted. Most of the conversation has been done by Andreas Seidel. But uh, by the end of the Hungarian Grand Prix is when Ricardo was told, you know, we don't want to continue with you beyond this year. Yeah. So we know now Ricardo won't be driving there next season. It seems like Piastri, there's one hurdle left for McLaren. They have the FAA contract recognition board. I understand that's next Wednesday. That's being that's being held. Yeah. Um, and every indication from people in the paddock is that McLaren have have got him, that, that that contract will be watertight. But of course, it has to go through that process. And there might be a twist in the tail. I mean, given this season, I wouldn't write off that, that, <laughs> that contract recognition board turning around and saying, actually, Piastri, you have to race for Alpine, which would be an incredible development to this, because I don't know what McLaren would do at that point. Sure. Um, but that seems very unlikely. So that, you know, once we get that, we will then have the confirmation that Piastri is racing there. But that is, you know, the implication from this from this move today. It's a huge move. It's a huge gamble to do that, especially for a rookie that's not driven a car in Formula One in a race weekend before. It was a huge statement of of what people think of Piastri and how much he's rated. So, yeah, huge gamble for McLaren. I'm surprised they did do it, um, and I think it puts a lot of pressure on them. I think it puts a lot of pressure on Piastri um, to perform and deliver. But we'll see how it plays out. We obviously won't know whether this was the right call for you know at least a year maybe maybe a bit longer i think piastri is obviously a long-term project but um i think his performances next year i don't know i think most rookies get a bit of a bit of leeway but he might be sure. under a bit more pressure than than a normal rookie would just given the circumstances of him coming in but but yeah big news to kick off the week and this is what's great about coming out of the summer break is we always have mm-hmm. seems like we always have something to get our teeth into and this is as big a story as you can as you can get in formula one i mean daniel ricardo for a lot of people, he is their favorite driver. So this, you know, this is a yeah wild way to kick off the second half of the season for sure. Well, the natural follow-up question as we wait for word on Piastri, as you mentioned, a week from now, the natural follow-up is well, what's next for Daniel Ricciardo? And rumors are already swirling. There's been a rumor that Gunther Steiner, team principal at Haas, has had a telephone conversation with Ricciardo. Obviously, some people think, well, are we just going to see a swap and Ricciardo's going to you know drive for Alpine next year, Lawrence? What do you make of some of these rumors and what do you actually foresee happening for Ricardo moving forward? Well, I've no doubt that there's been conversations from both ways. Any team that's got a space and they're looking at Daniel as a, as a potential, there would have been a conversation that way. And likewise, that doesn't mean that they're on the brink of securing a contract or anything like that. And when you look at Daniel's options, you've got to say Alpine's the top one. You know, he's going from 
a team in McLaren that is fighting Alpine currently for fourth in the championship. And actually, at times, Alpine's looking like the better of those two teams. So that would be the obvious thing, wouldn't it? But I think what we've learned from the last month is don't always go with the obvious thing until it's been confirmed. Because, you know, if you'd asked us shortly after the Alonso announcement, we said, well, of course, Piastri's going there. He's the reserve driver. Uh, He's going to be the Alpine driver. But of course, he had that contract with McLaren and then that all kicked off. And that's where we are where we are now so um yeah it's, it's interesting my, my one hope out of all this is that netflix have kept the cameras rolling throughout the <laughs> yeah. summer break and i've had some insight there because i mean look, nate has done a fantastic job of reporting on this he's had some some good contacts uh, around about but yeah if netflix are in there and they've got some of those initial reactions real reactions to what was going on that is going to make for some brilliant viewing just ahead of next year which, of course, would be a great way to kick off the new season and Piastri coming in at McLaren and seeing him in that orange race, see that orange car go out and try and compete with Ricardo, probably, hopefully, will-to-will, assuming Ricardo lands something. But um, I think it would obviously be such a shame to lose Ricardo. I think we need him in F1. Uh, he's had a bad couple of years at McLaren. He will admit that. I don't think anyone's questioning that. Uh, you can understand, to some extent, why McLaren have made the decision they have. And I think, you know, Daniel will understand a bit of that himself. So he, know, he knows he hasn't been at the top level. But the last time we really saw him compete and compete well was um, when he was at Renault, which, of course, was the old Alpine team. For anyone relatively new to F1, Renault changed its name to Alpine. So perhaps going back into that environment might be exactly what he needs, and it might kickstart his career again. So that's my hope. Uh, but yeah, I just really hope we don't lose Daniel. But given the interest we've heard about, the rumours, you know, and everything that's come out of the paddock, even as recently as the days after Hungary, I don't think he's going to be without a drive next year. Lawrence, I'm so glad you bring up Netflix because I think this is going to be such an epic mega. season that's to watch. I mean, usually they have to make up some stories for this one. <laughs> I mean, right, we'll think it about run. it. Uncut. Mercedes' original struggles throughout the entirety of the first ha- portion of the season. Obviously, all the different calamities we've seen happen at Ferrari. Then you've got Alonso riding off into the sunset, leaving Alpine high and dry. Obviously, we've had all this drama with McLaren. Then you also, I think, have to throw in Haas a little bit with the ups and downs that we've seen from Mick and what they're going to do with him, which actually brings me to a good segue, Nate. You had reported this week that Ferrari reserve driver Antonio Giovinazzi, he's actually going to take part in two practice sessions for Haas this year. That's uh, he's right, going to yeah. replace what Kevin Magnussen and Mick Schumacher uh, respectively for the opening session of the Italian and then the U S grand prix. So giving him his you know first experience of formula one's new generation of race car. So this kind of comes at an interesting time when we've been having conversations of what is Gunther Steiner and Haas going to do with Mick Schumacher. Are we going to see him driving in that race car next season? Does this have us reading between the lines or no, not really. It's funny. Well, just, just before I answer that, you mentioned Magnuson. I'd almost forgotten his return this year as well that's going to be a that could oh yeah be a good episode point. in itself good point. like that i can't believe that was the start of this season it seems like a different year but but yeah you're right i mean Haas is a really fascinating uh team now because they have this mm-hmm. seat potentially available i mean mick schumacher we've talked about the reasons why he's not you know massively endeared himself to the team obviously a lot of expensive repair bills which is mm-hmm. the last thing you want to give a team like Haas that you know don't exactly it's not like they're you know bristling with cash like some of the teams are um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty clear what this is. You know, this is a, a kind of open audition for Giovinazzi to, to show what he's made of. He has race experience previously with uh, with Alfa Romeo, and obviously it's it's a weird situation at Haas. They have this link with Ferrari, 
And sometimes they say, well, Ferrari has final say over our second seat. Sometimes they say we have full full say. My understanding is that House have autonomy to make the decision, but Ferrari very much are like, we would like one of the drivers to be linked to us in some way. However, I'm now fascinated about the Ricardo link because I don't know if you make that decision. You surely don't decide who's driving for you next year until you have news of where Ricardo is driving next year. There's no way. And that's the same for Williams as well. I don't think Williams are in the equation here, but you, you, you've got to keep your seats open, haven't you? So I think Giovinazzi seems like the most logical guy to replace Mick with if you're looking for a steady hand. I mean, he's not, he, you know, it's not that exciting of an option, but I think Giovinazzi's always been fairly reliable. You know, he's been, he's shown flashes being quick. He was quite quick against Kimi, but if the option is there to get Ricardo, I think Haas will go for it. I agree with Lawrence that Alpine seems like the most logical choice, but like the heart choice, heart overhead choice is, I mean, imagine Magnussen and Ricardo as teammates. I think that would be an amazing lineup. You know, two of my favorite drivers in the same team, but I don't know. I just think Ricardo does kind of suit the vibe at Haas quite a lot. You know, it's a small team, loves going racing, you know, doesn't mind leaning into some of the fun. You've got him and Steiner. I mean, imagine, imagine sitting around a table with Gunther Steiner and Danny Ricardo just, just chatting about racing. That would be, um, that, I mean, that alone could be its own Netflix series next season. I could just scrap the, the, the show going forward and say it's now just the Ricardo and Steiner show. Um, <laughs> my understanding is there has been, you know, overtures made, but like Lawrence said, that's not massively unusual. And often, you know, when it gets reported that, you know, Gunther Steiner called Danny Ricardo, it doesn't always mean Danny Ricardo returned the call or answered the call. You know, it could just be a message was left, which is what I understand it was. And it was at okay. a time when Ricardo was kind of was was happy to take the calls, but also was kind of like, I don't really know what's going on. So, you know, I don't want to entertain this yet. Lawrence, if you had to place money on it, do you feel like we have a decision regarding Ricardo's future sooner rather than later? Um, I think that's what Ricardo's going to want, isn't he? He's going to want it sorted. But um, I I don't know. I feel like if the Alpine thing doesn't come off, then it's going to take longer. But if it all makes sense to go back to Alpine and everyone's happy about it, then that's also quite a good PR win for Alpine to kind of forget this messy episode where they lost Alonso and then lost Piastri. If they can then announce Ricardo, then that's positive. So if that's what happens, I can see it being quick. If he's going somewhere else, yeah, I don't think anyone's in a huge rush and there's going to be a bit of negotiation, especially over contract amounts. You know, I don't think Daniel can expect to earn as much as he was at McLaren now. His stock's definitely fallen in the period that he's been there. So there'll no doubt be some negotiations around the figures on the on the contract as well. I do get the impression that Ricardo understands that you know, his credibility's taken a big knock over the past year and a half. So I think that when it comes to negotiating this next deal, I think that's going to be the front of his mind. And he's going to think, I want to go to a place where I can show what I can do. And I think Haas and Alpine are both places where if they're as competitive next year as they are this year, you know, I think he could do pr pretty well at both. I mean, he's not going to be winning races, but you've seen what Valtteri Bottas can do at Alfa Romeo. I think that mm -hmm. example for him is the one he needs to look at of you go to another team, you kind of revive, you just have a feel-good story around you. Um, but yeah, he's definitely not going to be able to kind of demand the, the money he demanded from Renault the first time around, yeah. which I'm sure the people that work out the finances at Renault will be pretty relieved about because they paid him quite a lot last time. We'll uh, be patiently waiting. How about that? To see what happens with him and the other teams who are possibly interested in him as well. Uh, let's shift focus here to this weekend. And uh, something worth mentioning uh, that we want to remind listeners and viewers about is that starting at SPA, the FIA will now implement a new metric that will be used to define an acceptable level of porpoising with teams having to stay within the limits from this weekend's race onwards. Uh, so prior to now, uh, you know, teams used the metric to kind of understand if they needed to make any changes and they were not punished if they were over the limit. Well, now 
penalties will be implemented from SPA onward. Lawrence, what does all of this mean exactly? Okay, so stay with me here because this is actually quite important and quite exciting. The bit you just mentioned the, is called the aerodynamic oscillation metric, to give mm-hmm. it its full name. That is pretty dry. And basically, it's, as you say, it's just a metric that measures how much the car's moving up and down, porpoising, as we called it earlier in the season, bouncing, if you want to call it that. Uh, but there hasn't really been an issue since we've returned to a lot of these purpose-built circuits, and we've got three of them in a row now, Spa, Sandport, Monza. So I think the first time we're really going to see that become an issue is Singapore. But there's another side to this technical directive, which is far more important for the competitive nature of Formula One, and that's stopping teams having what's become known as flexible floors. So underneath this, on the underside of a Formula One car, there's this plank of wood, essentially. It's like a resin, but it's wood. And the FIA uses that to measure how close the car is running to the floor. And it's there because if you run it too close, you'll shave off too much of this wood and then you'll be out of the regulations. And it's there to stop teams running it uh, unrealistically low or or too low. And so um, a way that some teams apparently have found a way around this and the finger has been pointed, although there's very little proof that Ferrari and Red Bull have been doing this, is that they found a way that rather than have this plank, plank hit the floor and wear away, they found a way for it to kind of move up within the chassis and so it doesn't get worn as much while they can then run the car lower. And as you run the car lower with these cars, you get more performance. So there's this suggestion that perhaps they've been finding about six millimeters of ride height. And if you convert that into something useful to watching fans, that's about two tenths to three tenths of a second in lap time. And that's significant because we've seen some races this year. Mercedes has been about 0.2, 0.3 seconds off in qualifying. So, you know, if they find that, then all of a sudden you put Mercedes right in the middle of this battle. Now, why aren't we pointing the finger at Mercedes? Why don't we think they're, they're doing it? Well, they're one of the teams that's campaigned hardest for this. And as we know in F1, you know, turkeys don't usually vote for Christmas. It's unlikely <laughs> that they're going to go and promote this uh, this regulation change that uh, is going to hurt them. They think it's going to hurt their rivals. However, Red Bull have been saying consistently, to give credit to Christian Horner, we're not going to have to change anything. The car's still going to be competitive when we turn up in Spa. We will see. Of course, the nature of Formula 1, there's so many different things that impact on the performance of a car that if, let's say, Mercedes are about 0.3 seconds closer to Ferrari and Red Bull, it's not conclusive proof that Ferrari and Red Bull were messing around with flexible floors before. We're going to have to see over the course of the season. But there is a hope among everyone that wants to see closer racing that this could bring it. So I know it's a bit dull. I know it's technical di- directors. I know it can get you know very kind of nuanced and geeky when we're talking about six millimeters of ride height and what it means. But if it makes for closer racing in the second half of the season, that's going to be a real positive. And in a way, that's what we're hoping. It's not really the reason the FIA are bringing it in. They're doing it from a safety perspective. They don't want the drivers bouncing around and they don't want the teams mm-hmm. finding ways around the regulations by having the uh, plank on the floor of the car move up within it. So they're just trying to police the rules effectively. But an offshoot of it is that we might actually get more competitive racing from Spa Romans. But we will have to watch this space and then also listen to what Christian Horner says about it. Total Wolf says about it. I know anyone who watches via Sky Sports, which is also ESPN's feed, there's been a lot of chat on there about this. So uh, that will continue, no doubt, into the Spa weekend. Once we've all got over contracts and drivers moving and all that kind of stuff, when the car's at the track, it's going to be something to look out for. 
Can we just give a round of applause? Because yeah, that was great. You know what? You call awesome. it dull. Lawrence Edmondson, you just made new metrics sexy. Okay. So well done. I, that I was a great best. insight. That was a great insight into me traveling with Lawrence to these races because a lot of the time I get in the car and I'm like, so what is this thing <laughs> that we've just had an email about? <laughs> and Lawrence or I will be driving and he will just kind of explain it like that. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I get that now. And that's what's great about this week, isn't it? That we've got we've got a story for everyone. We've got planks. We've got stories about Planks. We've got stories about Danny Ricardo. We've got stories about Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel. You know, we haven't properly heard from him since he retired. You know, all of this. Well, we have, but you know, we haven't. We haven't heard the you know the fallout from from Alonso. So literally everything going on, everything you could want in Formula One is being ticked off this week. It's brilliant. But but yeah, that was that was an awesome run through, lads. So nice job. We get it all, and it all culminates at Spa. So let's get to it. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're heading to Belgium this weekend uh, to one of the most legendary tracks in F1, guys. Uh, Before we get to the teams and drivers... You know, this track was recently revamped, and this will be the first time you're seeing race action on the new track. So can you take me through what's changed and what makes Spa so special? So if we look at what's changed, it's mainly runoff areas, and there's a very good reason for this. Spa, one of the reasons that it's such an exciting track is that there is an element of danger there. There always has been. In fact, there always will be, despite these changes. Uh, Antoine Hubert died there in a Formula 2 crash, and you know that was a very recent uh, accident, obviously a very bad thing to happen in the sport. And the sport looked at itself and said, what can we do to, to, to make this safer? So the corner they looked at was Eau Rouge, which is the bottom dip that, before it goes up and sweeps through Radelon. Uh, it's one of the most famous corners in Formula 1. It's one of the most spectacular corners in Formula 1. And essentially what they've tried to do as much as they can, as much as the physical geography there will allow them to do, is move the barriers backwards and create more space should there be an accident and also try and prevent 
cars hitting the barrier and coming back into the racing line, which is exactly what happened with Hubert. So uh, that's what they tried to do. I've watched an online video of a road car going around there. And the good news for Spa-Francorchamps fans is that it's not changed the character of the circuit, I don't think. Even the character of Eau Rouge is still there. Yes, the barriers are further back, but we've got used to seeing that a lot of tracks around the world. You know, it's been a fairly standard safety procedure is to move the barriers back over time. So, um, but the character of that corner, I think is pretty much still intact. They have slightly changed the radius of the corner and stuff like that, but I think it's pretty much still there. And then around the rest of the track, there's a lot more gravel, which um, I actually always think is quite a good thing for a racetrack because it often gets rid of this annoying tedious debate about track limits and when you've got a gravel trap on the other side of the white line well if a driver goes into that puts a wheel in that then you know it can basically stop them cause an accident be the end of their race that kind of thing so while the gravel traps have been put in safe places uh, they will also punish mistakes and i think uh in formula one you know that that's a good thing because if these drivers can just go way off the track and not have any penalty then that's obviously makes it a little bit more boring to watch a race you, know, you want to see them uh kind of penalized for when they make mistakes so those are the changes i mean the reasons we love it uh really you know i could go on for ages about why it's one of the first tracks i traveled to uh outside of the uk to watch formula one and i was absolutely taken by uh by the sport there you know it really it really did cement my love for it um and if anyone isn't aware of spa and hasn't seen it just you know, watch every every session during this weekend. One, because it might be one of your last chances to see F1 cars go around there for a while. We'll get onto that. But um, but also just because you won't be disappointed. Seeing the cars go around there is special. Hearing the drivers talk about it is special. I'm Listen glad you to- bring that up. Really, I'll go ahead and thank you. So, and for anyone who suffers from bad deja vu, there's rain forecast for Sunday, which we obviously <laughs> meant the race last year didn't go ahead. So I think rain, rain plus spa when the race does go ahead is always... Yeah, you know, it's like another level. It, it's always pretty fun. So we'll see how that plays out. Lawrence, you mentioned it that there's been some chatter, just like Monaco, that you know, Spa may or may not be on the F1 calendar come 2023. You know, Nate, what are some of the factors as to why that they, why they might remove such a legendary track? Yeah, so Spa's deal has always kind of had a bit of a question mark, especially in the last few years. It's never seemed that certain. It is. It's a funny situation because I think it is universally loved by drivers, by fans, and even people within the sport who are making the decisions. But the problem is right now is you have this calendar that is growing and growing and growing, and you have so much demand for for new races. You know, there's Kyle Army in South Africa potentially coming on next year, and uh, a record calendar next season. The problem is when you're putting all these races on the calendar something has to make way. And I think one thing that a lot of traditional fans are worried about is that when you look at the calendar, it's it's older races that seem to be the easier ones to remove. You know, they don't they don't have some of the money to, you know, to match, let's say, you know, a, a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix or even Singapore, you know, some of the cities that can put in big money or Vegas. I mean, imagine Belgium trying to trying to put up some of the money that we're seeing in some of these deals now. So that is an issue. And obviously the Monaco Grand Prix is another one that we're not really sure about going forward. And that's you know, two very iconic races. Iconic. Um, yeah, that just they even though they're loved, I think that it's it's hard to make a business case for them. And this is maybe where the as as good as the the boom in popularity in Formula One is, and you know, it's been great to see, and it is great to be a part of it. it one of the things that is a shame about it is that unfortunately, I think we're going to see this happen not to all the classic tracks, but it really puts races like Spa under the microscope because ultimately it comes down to a financial question and a lot of these races just can't compete. So hopefully we can get a situation where it comes back. There's been talk of it 
alternating in, in future. So there's a slot on the grid where it could be like, you know, like a classic Grand Prix and you can get some of the old classics back. I think that might be going forward the best way for some of these races to to be on the calendar. F- financially, how good of an option that is for them, I'm not sure because, you know, a lot of these Formula One is, is is you know, it, it, it's one of the biggest events on their calendar. So we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I hope I hope this isn't the last race at Spa. Uh, I'm not actually able to go this weekend. Um, Lawrence is riding solo for us this weekend and I'll be absolutely gutted if I won't be able to go again as a journalist because I'm the same as Lawrence. I think it was the fourth race I did in Formula One was at Spa. And uh, one of the great things of our job is we can walk on the track after, like fans do. We can run on it as well. I tried to run up Eau Rouge, and I, I think I need busted out both my knees because it's so steep. Like when you go up there and you stand at the top of that, it is unbelievable to be there. Um, it's just a great circuit. Just absolutely, the people. There's a lot of people in racing who, who talk about fever. They say they get fever when they're, you know, like a racing fever when they're there. And Spa's definitely one of these places that that just elicits that. It's got so much history, and it just looks, it just looks unbelievable. You know, you've got the Ardennes forest all around it, and then this incredible circuit just in the middle. It, it, it's kind of, it's wild that it exists, but it is a great place. So, and to all... point. Sorry. And to Nate's point here, F1 has to be careful because mm. part of the reason yeah, we love F1 is tracks like Spa. And you can try as hard as you want. You know, you can run a race through Las Vegas. You can run a race through New York. You will never replicate spa Frankenstein as it is because it's just on that part of land that, you know, really does so beautifully house a racetrack when it, 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 it's, that, you know, it's been created that way. And it's, it's an old road, you know, it's kind of, it's got lots of history, how it's developed over time. It's not the original spa circuit, but it's a pretty, pre- pretty close uh, representation of, of, of parts that they were running around in, uh, in the fifties and sixties. And that is really important to the sport. So everyone has to be careful there. I think they cannot just go chasing money around the world because a lot of these new venues, I'm not talking about Las Vegas so much, but thinking of some of the ones in the middle East are pretty soulless. And there's not a huge amount of interest in going there or even watching races there. And yet somewhere like Spa, you can guarantee once somebody's watched a race there, especially if it's a wet one that isn't completely rained off, they get hooked because that is, you know, what F1 is all about. That is why it's so exciting. So I think F1 really needs to be careful. And I know, you know, they are playing the game and they've got shareholders to to keep happy. And that's why money is important. But you can't lose races like Spa, I don't think, long term because it really will damage the sport. And if you, I think it's a great point about new races. And I mean, as much as Miami coming on was awesome, you know, one of the things we talked about in the lead up to that race was the fake marina. I know kind of it was put there (laughs) as a talking point, but it is quite noticeable that a lot of these new races, they put on a lot of things that are, that are artificial. They're like, look, this is, this is here. And there's nothing artificial about, about Spa, everything about it. You know, the thing that people love about it is just a pure racing track. And I think when people think about racing, who've been watching it a long time, they think about some of the circuits there. Some of the, there's been some unbelievable moments. I mean, Schumacher. I can remember sitting and watching Schumacher drive into the back of Coulthard in '98 at this race, and Schumacher went storming down the pit lane and started shouting at Coulthard. I was doing the same thing in my living room. I was storming around because I was a little Ferrari fan. I was. I think it's the first time I probably swore in front of my dad. I was swearing at the TV, and the only reason I got away with it is because my dad, who never swears, was also swearing at the TV <laughs> because he couldn't believe what had happened. And that was at Spa, and that's one of the magic things about it is so many great races and. Lawrence is completely right. You know, a lot of these new circuits coming in, they might look glitzy. They might look, you know, look like very fancy places, but they don't have that same appeal to them. So yeah, he's absolutely right. This, this is one thing where uh, hopefully once we get past all the madness of Ricardo and planks, et cetera, we can actually have a serious discussion in F1 about the future of spa because it absolutely has to stay long-term. You know, it's, it's nuts to think you could get rid of it full time because I mean, how can you have a, how can you have a race calendar without it? So yeah, hopefully some sense, 
you know, people see a great race this weekend and realize they can't they can't go on without it. Dave, I don't think we did our due diligence about these two's love affair with Spa. We did it on our whole episode <laughs> yeah. just about how much they love Spa. What's more concerning is uh, the hatred for the marina in Miami. <laughs> well, well, not so much warranted. hatred. That's more just a comparison of the two. I mean, I actually quite loved what Miami did with that, but I think it is a it is a fair comparison to make between, you know, Miami's race wasn't great, you know, and 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 look, you know, any circuit can have a great race, but compare the product of the Miami race to what we expect from Belgium. You know, obviously Miami will take time, but I think it's I think it's worth saying. So sorry to fans of the Miami GP, not not taking a, a, a you know a needless swing at it, but I think that you know. They're two very different events. And so if, if you had to pick one, Monaco or Spa, to to be removed from the calendar, you'd pick Monaco? Don't do this to us, Dave. Oh, that is tough. <laughs> That's a really tough one. I, I would I if, if you had to pick the two, I would say I would I would pick Belgium over Monaco. But at the same time, quali- the qualifying spectacle at Monaco is amazing. So I've just given you a politician's answer. I've just basically said I want both. Um don't don't go further because I think that Let's dive into that in a future episode. Yeah, Which yeah. That's one a... would you keep on the calendar? I think that that's yeah, a that's great nice. way, and we can answer fans' questions, and we can kind of have a hierarchy and list out best and worst, and where yeah. we're kind of heading with the future of F one races. And it actually gives me time to work out what my actual answer is. So yeah. that is you're welcome. So, yeah. So thank you, Katie. I appreciate that a lot. Dave completely put me on the spot. Our producer there. So good thanks, question, mate. though. Having said all of that about spa. With the new stipulations that come in uh, this weekend, Lawrence, who do you feel like this track maybe favors? Well, that's a big question. If we look at what we know already, um, if you look at Silverstone, that's probably the closest thing we've got to Spa. And of course, for Ferrari won there, but had Max not had a beat, bit of Alpha Tauri get wedged under his car, he probably would have been <laughs> several seconds down the road. So I think the safe money is on Red Bull, but it's that big question how much? Is this technical directive going to impact performance? How much is it going to peg Red Bull back? Is it going to peg Ferrari back? There's quite a lot of belief that Ferrari were also doing something with its floor. So, you know, that's this brilliant question, which makes it exciting to watch. Sorry, I don't have a better answer. But yeah, smart (laughs) money on Red Bull. But the great news is is it is open. All right, let's dig into the teams and drivers then. Quick reminder, at the top of the driver's standings, before we dive in, Max Verstappen is currently in the lead with 258 points. Charles Leclerc behind him at 178. Checo Perez, 173. George Russell's in fourth with 158 points. Carlos Sainz with 156, just two behind Russell. All right, Red Bull is heading into the second half of the season, riding high, and obviously they have huge leads in both the Constructors' and Drivers' Championships. But Ferrari has been the quicker car in qualifying. Is this another weekend where we feel like we're going to see Red Bull 1-2, Nate? Yeah, I winced to it because I'd, I'd actually, in all of the summer break, I'd forgotten how big Verstappen's lead was until you said it. Can't believe that. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is this is kind of the triple header where Ferrari have to, they just have to save the season. If they're going to do it, it's got to be now. Um, I, I think, you know, we don't want to go into a pod where we just start talking about all the problems at Ferrari again, but I think there are some there are some issues with Ferrari. I think across the board, really that. That mean that even if they do have the stronger package here, you you just can't trust them to to execute it properly. I don't think. Um, 
And, you know, there's always something that might go wrong. So I think I, I feel like the summer break might have been what Ferrari needed. You know, they got away from that long run of races where the, the you know, the narrative every week was just, oh, Ferrari have messed up again. Mm-hmm. You know, the drivers have managed to get away a bit. I think that, I think actually the big lead that Ferrari, sorry, that Red Bull and Verstappen have, it might actually be a blessing because the pressure's kind of gone now. And we all just expect that, you know, Max is just going to have it wrapped up. So um, I think I, I've got no, no reason to think that Ferrari can't, bounce back in some way here i mean leclerc his first his first race win was here uh in 2019 um you know and, and I'm, I'm i was looking at science's record and he's actually been pretty good at, at, at spa so from the driver's perspective um you know you'd expect them to both bounce back but it's just so difficult to to see anybody beating max he's as close to unbeatable as possible and if you're ferrari to you know to get a one two and to, to to beat max you have to be perfect across the board and i just don't think ferrari can be that i don't know if you guys That's maybe have had a change of heart over the summer but you know i was hoping i was hoping while i was away that maybe i was like no i do still believe in ferrari but that that belief hasn't it's waned a bit over the past few months and it's going to take a while to rebuild it well no it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have because you know carlos Sainz had finished the first half of the season very strong while charles obviously suffered from being let down by team strategy on on multiple occasions you know Lawrence when you look at it does Ferrari need to prioritize an individual driver heading into spa or will we continue to kind of see that Ferrari first mentality if if they have any realistic ambitions about the championship the driver's championship they have to prioritize the clerk I think that's been clear to the outside world for some time and you know we did see a bit of that in Hungary, if we look at um, not the end of what they did with the strategy, but early in the race, what they did, you know, we have seen a few signs that, that they're willing to do that. But I think it's it's not really a Ferrari first problem. Their strategy seems to be a Red Bull first problem. You know, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. just giving races away. And so really, I think it's much more the fundamentals. If they could control which driver was ahead, then, you know, we wouldn't have said all the stuff we've said about Ferrari over the last few months. Uh, it really is a case of just getting a real... Uh, tight grip on what they're doing with race strategy and of course you know Leclerc's made mistakes as well France springs to mind as the most obvious recent one so those have got to move out the way as well you know Leclerc's got to earn it and as he said after France if I'm driving like he did in France putting it in the wall from the lead the race then he doesn't deserve the championship either so it's going to come from both sides but yeah if Ferrari have any ambition to win the drivers championship this year they do need to back Leclerc and you know really they need to do it a couple of races ago we referenced it for Drive to Survive uh, next season. Obviously, it's going to be interesting just to see the follow of Mercedes and the struggles that they had at the beginning stages of this season. You know, they've been chipping away all year um, from what was a below average car at the start. Obviously, they've made some significant progress there, and it's become a three-team battle at this stage. Um, but They've struggled with speed, Nate. So are there concerns over the pace needed to compete at Spa? Or do you feel like they come back from summer break and the momentum still rolling in the right direction? No, I think I, I'm pretty confident they can be they can be in there. Like Lawrence said, there's so much riding on on how how much of a tangible difference all of those all of those changes have made. But I think with Mercedes right now, they do seem to be right on the cusp of of just being able to put themselves in that position. And I mean in Hungary, I think if if Lewis had started further up the order obviously it's a completely different circuit to spa mm-hmm. but if he'd finished if it started further up the order he could have challenged max to win that race i think so that is a huge step forward from when mercedes were at the start of the season now spa if you look at the circuits i mean spa monza might not be the strongest places for them but at the same time i mean that that pack at the front are pretty close together so I, I i've i weirdly i think everybody watching formula one right now almost the the, the faith we don't have in ferrari to mm-hmm. to 
get things right across the board we kind of have in Mercedes because if you actually look at their performances both Lewis and George they've both been so consistent obviously Lewis was struggling at the start of the season for a little bit he's got over that now and actually I think I'm really enjoying this this Lewis kind of edging closer to Lewis. I think someone needs to put the Jaws music to it. You know, he's like he's not he's not going to challenge Max for the championship this year, but all of us want to see that again. I mean, you know, the way last season ended, I feel like we were kind of robbed of a fair finish at the end of that season, and we're getting closer and closer to seeing it again. So, yeah, I don't see any reason why that can't continue. Um, I don't think they'll be potentially winning the race, but who knows? Like things crazy things have happened at spa and you've just got to you've got to be in the right position to win those races and right now mercedes are doing a great job of doing that so yeah i can i can totally see that momentum continuing all right if you take a, a look outside of the top three teams um i would maybe want to address the elephant in the room that is fernando alonso returning to alpine after blowing up silly season and then daniel ricardo obviously returning to mclaren when they just officially announced that he is out for 2023 you know, there's so much drama. And I think this is why we absolutely love this sport is you know that these changes are coming and yet you still have to go work with that employer <laughs> or you have to get along with that employee and still try to get the best results possible week in and week out. So, Lawrence, do you foresee some of this drama impacting a couple of these drivers in the second portion of the season? I think it's got to to some extent, but if you want a driver who it's not going to impact and who's just going yeah. to grind out the results regardless, it's Fernando Alonso. Um, I mean, also, it was all on his terms, right? I mean, he's the mm -hmm. one that's decided what's happened here, essentially. And so I don't think he's going to have a problem getting back in that car. And the thing is, when you put a semi-competitive car in Fernando Alonso's hands, it's going to be in the top 10. It may even be sniffing around a podium. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he does that straight out in, in Spa if, you know, the result goes that way and we get a bit of rain or problems up the front. So um, I don't think there's going to be a problem there. I think the real tricky one is Ricardo, as we talked about, going back into that team, knowing that he's really uh, going back into a team that doesn't want him. And mm -hmm. uh, as Nate said before, we saw after Monaco, there was already a drop in performance and that was before this was all public. And now it's out there. And, um, that's tough. That is really tough. The one thing is that Ricardo is also fighting for his future now. So he wants to show everyone that, all right, you know, this has happened to me. And we'll, we'll see just how mentally strong Daniel Ricardo is by how well he performs over the next few races. So I'm really hoping he gets back in the car and he's, you know, up there with Lando. But on the basis of what we're seeing this year, that is going to be so tough to do because he already had that deficit. And now he's basically just had another punch in the gut. And it's going to be 48 hours of him you know, dealing with the same questions, you know, the whole, the, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a yeah, it's a humiliating story to be in the middle of. And as much as we like the guy, like, you know, if that was us dealing with it, I think it would, you know, dr drive us crazy. So hopefully I think Lawrence is, you know, is onto something there. A lot of these guys say, you know, when they're up against it, you close that visor, everything else goes away, but mm -hmm. you have to wonder what impact it has on him. Just, you know, his preparation and everything like that, that, you know, that was in, that was in the Netflix show, wasn't it? When he was, he was so down on himself last season when he wasn't doing well. And you can imagine what he's th feeling like now. So yeah, I hope he performs well. Um, just on the Alonso thing as well. I'm, I'm ex always excited to see him race on the track, but anybody listening, just do your best to try and listen to Fernando Alonso's interviews over the next <laughs> kind of couple months, because me and Lawrence laugh about it a lot. Like, he is the king at giving self-aggrandizing interviews where he talks about how great he is. And he always 
he talks like he's the smartest man in the room. He says, no one can see that. He'll, he'll say something along the lines of, no one can see the logic of this move as well as I can. You know, I've, I've, you know he'll say something like that. And, and I guarantee you, I'd love to put money on a quote. You can't put money on somebody saying a quote, but he'll say something like that. So from that perspective, Alonso is going to be very entertaining. And hopefully on the flip side of that, you know, Ricardo can kind of get back to, to where he is. But I'm, I'm in the same boat as Lawrence. I'm a bit... I'm a bit worried about you know three races in three weeks after this news. I I hope it doesn't burn burn the guy out, but it could be a really rough kind of three three weeks for him because you know he's basically just he's in one of the worst situations you can imagine being in. Maybe that should be our billion dollar idea or your billion dollar idea: betting on sound. Yeah, yeah. A little and- light bulb just went off in my head. I was like, maybe maybe this is a thing. A lot yeah, of insider trading could happen, I think, mainly from uh, me. Yes, <laughs> but, or a lot of studying transcripts, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Journalists, journalists would make a lot of money, finally, off of this. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's the way forward. No doubt. All right, let's finish uh, this episode like we always do with a little prediction time. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, I would encourage you to follow along and go to ESPN.com uh, for something that we've got going on called ESPN Racing Pick'em. So there's a bunch of different uh, pick'ems that we're going to go through, and you can finish, obviously, uh, on your own time. But at ESPN.com, this is a great way to get ready for the weekend. Uh, one of the first pick'ems, guys, is which team will score more points? I think I already know the answer. Red Bull or Ferrari? 86% of those who have played believe that Red Bull will score more points than Ferrari this weekend. Fair? Hard yeah, to argue so. with that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Very hard. Based on current performance, really hard to argue. So, yeah. This one's a, a little bit interesting. It says, who will record a better finish, George Russell or Carlos Sainz? Oh, that is a really good one. I would I would put, I would vote Russell. I've got to do these later. I love playing the pick'em game because you basically, what I do anyway is I keep second-guessing myself and going back <laughs> and, and picking them. I'd put I'd put Russell, I think. I think as, as you know, as we've seen, Mercedes has been so consistent and one of the Ferraris is going to have something happen. You just know. So yeah, Lewis and Lewis and Russell have been, Lewis and George have been really, really good at the moment. Um, just eking out those great results. So I would say Russell, um, but I'm not sure if Lawrence shares my, my optimism. In no, Mercedes. I, I, I think the uh, points table backs it up. Russell is two points ahead of Carlos anyway in the championship yeah, yeah. in that car. And the Mercedes is only getting better. And the Ferrari, I mean, it's, it's, it's still competitive. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the Mercedes is the one that's making the move. So, yeah, I think so. And then also you look at what Russell did here mm. last year, it was in Spa last year, in a Williams, Q3, 
qualified second ended up being the final result because we didn't get a proper race, but qualified second in a Williams. So, you know, imagine we get a bit of rain on Saturday. You could see him on pole again and uh, potentially doing something special from there. So, yeah, I'm going with Russell on that one too. Well, the real experts being the fans, they agree with you both. Uh, Russell <laughs> has 71% of the picks right now. Carlos signs 29. Speaking of rain, I'll ask you one more. Uh, will there be a full-on track safety car period at any point in the race? Yes or no? I'd say yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, there's a lot more gravel traps as well. So those gravel traps, if cars get stuck there, they need to be removed. That brings out safety cars usually. Uh, so, yeah, I think you've got a pretty high chance of, of a safety car around Spa. 85% yeah. of people would agree with you. So you can finish this game, ESPN Racing Pickums at ESPN.com. It's a great fantasy game and so much fun to play along. All right. Give me your top three finishers and most surprising performance before we let you both go. I think it's crazy to bet against Max at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I put Verstappen first, even though it's not the most exciting prediction to say. It's not. But I'm going to say, I know it's not, but the second one hopefully redeems me. I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton second uh, and Charles Leclerc third. I think uh, we're going to see some some mixed up weather. We know how good Lewis is in the rain. We know how good Max is in the rain. And I'm hoping they can share some tarmac together and actually race together uh, in those conditions. That would be mega. And uh, you, you said surprise as well. This is this is very much the heart leading this, but I really hope the surprise we're talking about is is Ricardo coming back to form. You know, I think that would be a surprise. Uh, I think given everything that we've seen, you know, that's that's happened, not just today, but that we're going to you know be talking about for a long, long time. Um, hopefully, he bounces back. Um, so yeah, I'm going to back. I'm going to back the guy to do it. We know how good he can be. So I'm going to say Ricardo. Let's say top six finish. Why not? That would be a, that would be an amazing story to to kind of cap what's been a pretty a pretty crappy week for him so far. Okay, I'm going to go one step further with top three prediction and say Lewis Hamilton to win the race. Oh, I nice. Yeah, I think Lewis has got winning him this year at some point. And this might be the one if Mercedes could just get that little bit closer forward, bit of rain. Uh, I'm going to leave Max out of the top three and assume there's some kind of DNF involved, whether it's reliability or whatever. Uh, don't hate me, Max fans. You know, I do have massive respect for the guy, but... For a championship to be exciting, we kind of need Max to drop a few <laughs> points. So uh, let's put Charles Leclerc in second. And I said George Russell would be ahead of Carlos Sainz, so I'm going to stick in third. Um, and then, surprise, I'm going to say Mick Schumacher because mm. um, he's really under pressure. He is fighting for his seat. It kind of gets forgotten. I think some people have already written him out of that house seat, but he's fighting for it. And uh, this is a track that meant a lot to the Schumacher family. It's where Michael Schumacher made his debut. It's where he got his first win. And so I think Mick could come here really energized to get a good result. And so often we've seen in junior series in the second half of the season, when he's under pressure, he kicks on and he gets results. So surprise would be Mick up there, maybe even top six. Nice. I've written this down for the both of you. So we will <laughs> revisit this next week and see how oh, close dear. the two of you got. How about that? See, yeah, that that's fine. But usually, I usually I like these predictions because I'm like, no one's going to remember them. You know, hopefully, yeah, Katie's holding us. Katie's holding us to account now. Which now is, we're going to have a scoreboard, Dave. You hear that? That's going to be a running episode thing. Okay, let's make that happen. Got it. All right. Well, as always, I appreciate your all's time. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, that's a wrap for another episode of Unlap. The wait is finally over. Spa is, of course, guaranteed to provide us with. Exciting, fast-paced, adrenaline-filled racing uh, that we can't wait for. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week recapping the action and breaking down all the drama and storylines that this motorsport continues to provide. Uh, remember, like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And remember, drop us a comment or a question below. And 
If you're listening, give us a five-star review. That helps fans uh, find us on their podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson, thank you guys so much. Cheers. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.